Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Woe is Media, episode 24. I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time because I just woke up where I am at and um, my voice is normally scraggly. So if I sound inappropriate, have at me. I don't care. Annabelle, what do you have on the list for this week? Well, I've got two pretty cool stories. Well, the first one is not really cool because it is an attack on women's bodily autonomy. You guessed it. I'm going to talk about the most restrictive abortion law in the country that was just passed in Alyssa's home state of Texas. I was about so, to say, where was that? I haven't heard a damn thing about it. That's a little bit heavier of a story. So if you're not one who likes talking about that subject matter, if you don't want to hear about it, that might be potentially a good episode for you to skip when you're listening to this podcast episode. And then my second story is about the biggest SPAC that's currently going on right now and how it might not pan out like we thought it would because it's it's got some problems going on. So a little bit of business, a little bit of law today. What about you? So today I'm going to be talking about a former super couple from Hollywood now coming to light. They've had issues in the past regarding a very well-known man. We'll get more into it in a second. It'll make more sense. And other than that, I'm going to be talking about the newest winner of RuPaul's Drag Race and why it is very important, not only for the future of the LGBTQIA community, but for the show in general. So. Applause for representation. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right. You want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. I've titled this story, The Brangelina Battle. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So quickly set up for those of you who lived under a rock between 2005 and 2019. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt met on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith way back in 2005. He was still with Jennifer Aniston at the time. We're not going to get into that part of the scandal because we're focusing solely on Brangelina, not Braniston. So they started dating almost immediately after all of his um, things were filed with Jennifer Aniston. And they were together in just a domestic partnership up until 2014, when they actually officially married alongside all of their children. I always forget how many kids they have. Six. They have six children. Oh, my Lord. Yes. So they got married in 2014. And sadly, the marriage came to an end in 2019. I remember exactly where I was when it was announced that they were breaking up and seeking divorce i was sitting outside of my volleyball class at the uga ramsey center and i was like blown away shooketh why did that matter to you so much you remember exactly where you were it's just like brangelina was a institution in hollywood yeah i guess i don't know I understand that it's not as big as, you know, like certain individuals passing away or like an actual marriage happening, but there's just something I always, you know, I'm not one to say like, oh my gosh, Brangelina is going to last forever. But I like legit thought that they would, they'd been together for so long and officially married only like five years before the divorce occurred. So I was like, I was shook. I was really shook. And also I think I was taking my, um, I was officially applying to be in Grady that same day or around there of. So that was a big part of what was going on in my life at that time. And Brangelina just happened to 
pile on. So all that to say that Angelina Jolie is now disclosing her past battles with ex-husband Brad Pitt over his work with the disgraced Harvey Weinstein. So she has addressed her alleged abuse with him Mm -hmm. um, back in 1998. That's when the abuse occurred, not when she first disclosed it. She was working on 1998's Playing by the Heart. She was 21 at the time and his company was producing the film. And she says that she initially downplayed it, which I'm sure that a lot of assault um and any type of survivors can relate to um the quote that she used was if you get yourself out of the room you think he attempted but didn't right the truth is that the attempt and the experience of the attempt is an assault it was beyond a pass it was something i had to escape so the assault was then discussed with her husband at the time johnny lee miller who Mm -hmm very surprised not trying to say anything about Johnny Lee Miller because I honestly don't know that much about him but from what she says he acted as a proper ally she he believed her and he warned other people that he worked with about Weinstein yes King yes exactly right we we love someone who believes survivors right so the fight with Pitt began during his involvement on 2009's Inglorious Bastards, which is a Quentin Tarantino film, but it was co-produced with the Weinstein Company. He also teamed up with Tarantino a second time in 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but obviously that was like already in the midst of the Me Too movement and Weinstein was not involved. He was already a disgrace at that point. We, we were not talking about him in 2019. She says that Pitt approached Weinstein to produce his 2012 film, Killing Them Softly, which the Weinstein Company also distributed. But this is from Entertainment Weekly, and I have yet to find any other corroborating sources to, um, what's the word, to approve that fact. Um, I'm going to throw that out there with caution. Um, She first disclosed her experience with Weinstein in a 2017 New York Times article saying that he made unwanted advances to her in a motel room. And this is highly ironic. This was around the same time, um, or I should say that actress Gwyneth Paltrow also disclosed in the same article that she had bad experiences with Weinstein when she was around 22 and guess who she was dating when she was 22? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, exactly. So I thought that's a weird, you know, full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really short story that I just wanted to cover because I feel that, you know, Harvey Weinstein is still um, in the legal throes. And a lot of people are seeing this side of him right now. Um, whenever he shows up to the courthouse in like New York City, he's got a walker and he looks very frail. And I'm not of course he say, does. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that he's not, but there's definitely a chance that, you know, he could be playing this up for the mm-hmm. sympathy card. Right. Um, possibly even to get like a passionate release or a passionate, you know, kind of thing going on. And once again, this is all speculation on my part, but I, I don't believe it. Every time I see it, I'm just like, you're the biggest liar in the whole entire world. And you're trying to act and downplay the things that you did to all of these people. And right. it's not okay. Um, Pitt is actually currently producing a film based on the New York Times reporting of the Weinstein case. 
through his production company, Plan B and Annapurna Pictures. Mm -hmm. And that's according to E! News. Um, Pitt has, not a lot of people know this, but Brad Pitt's production company is actually responsible for Minari. Oh, I didn't know that. Exactly. So (laughs) when um, Yun Yun Jung um, accepted her Academy Award earlier this year, like she accepted it from Brad Pitt and she made a comment like, oh, it's finally nice to meet you. And everybody thought it was just like, oh, she thinks he's cute. But no, apparently his company like funded the movie, but then like he never showed up for the production of it, apparently. So Mm. she's like, oh, it's finally nice to see you bringing all this money to this project and you don't show up to see it so it's it's whatever but I don't know the more the more goings on that happen in 2021 and beyond I don't see myself being a very big fan of Brad Pitt yeah I I can understand that for sure um he's definitely had some good movies some good ones at the box office some good partnerships but, and I guess that's good that he funded Minari. I, maybe he just like, didn't want to take that active of a role in it. Then don't have a production company. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's just that my seems personal to be opinion. a little counterintuitive for sure. Um, or he could have offered an explanation for his absence. Exactly. You know, and don't get me wrong. Like when 2019 was here, I went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I was definitely falling for Mr. Brad Pitt. And that's saying, as someone who never really saw the big deal around him to begin with, like, I've never been a Brad Pitt stan. Like, I've never been Mm -hmm. like, oh, he's so attractive. But there was something about him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I was like, I get the hype now. I get it. Is that your favorite iteration of him? Honestly, that I can remember. I'm not a big Fight Club fan. I... Mr. and Mrs. Smith is fine. It's perfectly fine. Brad Pitt is one of those people that I feel that recently he's like famous for being famous, not trying to compare him to like Kim Kardashian or anything, Mm -hmm. but his film credits have also slowed down quite a bit from what they were in like the early 90s and the early 2000s. Oh, I loved him in Thelma and Louise. He was great in that. Um, But yeah, he's just... And I guess you could say the same for Angelina Jolie. You know, she's more focused on humanitarian efforts right now. Um, She is going to be in the upcoming Eternals movie. Um, She's not playing like the main, main role, but she's like in there. And that's, honestly, I can't remember the last film that she was in. And once again, she's doing great work and I can't fault her for that. And, you know, not to take sides here, but I believe Survivors. Sure. She was in the Maleficent series with disney you're right you're right you're absolutely right How which is not that? you know something that like every movie goer is probably gonna go see true uh, just because it's produced by disney and it's not like a marvel movie mm-hmm. so it doesn't have the same like blockbuster appeal but yeah she did play maleficent and it's interesting that she's a survivor because there is a scene in the first maleficent movie where Maleficent isn't really supposed to be a witch based in this like prequel story. She's really more of a fairy. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had these like beautiful, gorgeous wings that allowed her to fly. And there's this scene in the first movie where the human prince, I think his name is Stefan. It is because it's a spoiler alert. It's Princess Aurora's dad. It's Aurora's father. Yeah. 
and he takes her wings from her and there's just this like heartbreaking scene of her sobbing and feeling like she's lost a part of herself Mm -hmm. and that's really kind of supposed to be a metaphor for a woman who's been sexually assaulted or raped yes absolutely so another full circle moment here there's um indications of that and she's definitely played characters who've experienced that type of life experience that she's also gone through with Harvey Weinstein. Thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that moment in Maleficent, but you're absolutely right. Um, Also, I don't know how I forgot about this because, but she was recently, and when I say recently, I mean this year in a film called Those Who Wish Me Dead. And Mm -hmm. it's about this, not a firefighter. She's what's called a smoke jumper, which Mm -hmm. are specially trained like wildlife or yeah, wildlife firefighters. And she is like trapped in the Montana wilderness. And she comes across this little boy who like witnessed the murder of his father. And there's like assassins like out trying to find both of them to silence them. Mm -hmm. So that's her most recent credit outside of the Eternals. Gotcha. Totally forgot about that. But yeah, that's my first story. Believe women. Woo. Believe women. Believe survivors. So kind of continuing on with this theme of believing women and supporting women, we're going to get into the Texas war on women. And I know that sounds like harsh rhetoric, but But it is, but it is. And we'll get into why. And again, disclosure here, Alyssa, I feel like a lot recently I've been saying on this podcast, how we try not to get political, but we have to talk about this and I'm going to say it again. Um, we're trying not to get political, but we need to talk about this. And this is not necessarily a political matter so much as it is a matter of feminism and basic human rights for females and people with traditional female organs. We'll get into that as well. Um, So here we go. Um, Texas, the great state, the Lone Star State, they have passed a bill into law that Regarding abortion, it bans all abortions after six weeks from the beginning of the pregnancy when the heartbeat of the embryo can be detected. Yes. Um, This is before most women even know that they are pregnant. Mm -hmm. Around 85% of abortion procedures actually happen after the first six weeks Mm -hmm. of pregnancy. So this is essentially putting a ban on 85% of abortions, Mm -hmm. which is a huge number. Um, And the law also has stipulations that allow people to bring civil lawsuits to court for people who assist a woman in receiving the procedure. So the woman herself, yeah, the woman herself cannot be sued for having the procedure, but the healthcare provider who advised the woman to get an abortion, the actual clinic can be sued. Anybody who, like if the woman takes an Uber to the clinic because Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to drive yourself after the procedure, that person can be sued. An Uber driver who has no idea what's going on, they could potentially be sued. Yeah, you don't know anything about the people that you pick up. That's so stupid. It is stupid. I mean, I guess maybe if you know, if you are like, hey, can you drive me to this women's clinic? Maybe they would make an assumption, but hopefully they would mind their own business and not. Also, spoiler alert to anyone who doesn't know, Planned Parenthood does a lot more than abortions, guys. Yeah, I think that's roughly like last I saw, I want to say it was around 20% of their service offerings. They do things like cancer screenings and exactly. STD testings. They offer things like plan B. How dare they? Barrier contraception, like just basic things. And Planned Parenthood is also a very important resource for minorities. 
as well as people who do not have access to good health care. So exactly. it's important because it's not, it's filling in the gaps that a lot of the American healthcare system falls short on. So it's not just an abortion provider. Especially um, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic in yeah. these rural areas that face the harsh reality of being in the middle of not only like food deserts, but health deserts as well. There's not good coverage around in these rural areas and Planned Parenthood is a not universal, but like it's a well-known name Mm -hmm. and they have multiple um, sites in big cities. So not big cities, but cities. Exactly. Um, And the law, the only exception to this six week abortion ban rule is when the woman's life is at risk if she carries to term. There is no exception for rape. There is no exception for incest, nope. which is what I find to be probably the grossest part of this law. Yeah. Because if God forbid a woman is raped and is impregnated, why should she have to carry that to term with her attacker's spawn? Like that's just that's so upsetting to me that she should be forced to do that. Like if she wants to carried a term like that's obviously her prerogative but absolutely why should she be forced to do that and to potentially raise a child a constant reminder of that trauma Mm -hmm. that's just extremely upsetting to me um so no exceptions for rape or for incest now the supreme court comes into play here because obviously this is a very restrictive law the supreme court was asked to opine on it and late this past wednesday night the supreme court let it go into law um, because they voted 5-4 not to block the law. So they had potential to not let this go into effect, but because they voted not to block it, it is in effect. So you cannot get an abortion currently in Texas after six weeks. Um, So that's kind of what the Supreme Court decided to do. They did not make a statement about the law's constitutionality. So this will potentially be a loophole for people who do not support the law to challenge it in court, um, which is a good thing. It's, it's a good thing they didn't like just completely be like, oh yeah, this is a totally fine law. We love it. Like they didn't talk about the constitutionality of it. So it's five, four, and you can probably guess just based on the subject matter who the dissenters were and who the supporters were, but the dissenters were um, Justice Elena Kagan, Justice Stephen Breyer, Justice John Roberts, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, excuse me, and Justice Sonia Sotomayor and the rest of the court were the people who supported letting this go into law. Um, And this is key because we know that the most recent member of the bench is Justice Amy Comey Barrett, Barrett. and she was appointed by former President Donald Trump. Now, President Trump got to put a couple of people on the bench because of the passing of Justice Scalia, as well as the passing of Justice RBG. May she rest in peace. We love her. What is really unfortunate about that is the fact that Trump was literally on his way out of office when RBG died. And Uh that's supposed to be the role of the upcoming president to put somebody on the bench when it's that close to the end of term. That's what happened at the end of Obama's term. He tried to put Merrick Garland on the bench Republicans in the Senate blocked it. They shut it, it down quickly. They said, no, this is for the next president to do. And that's what happened. So Republicans did not honor their precedent that they set during the Trump presidency. They let Trump, you know, 
put somebody else on the bench to replace RBG. And RBG is a huge supporter of women's rights and pro-choice. And had she still been alive to this day and Amy Comey Barrett was not on the bench, the vote would have been 5-4 the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, no doubt. So that's upsetting. And it just goes to show how important the Supreme Court is and how critical it is when there's a new justice appointed to the bench because and how lasting of an effect that can have on really everybody. This, this stuff really does affect everyone. So pay attention, people. Um, but yeah, so in response to all this, because obviously the Democrats control the House of Representatives right now, um, our girl Nancy Pelosi is outraged. She is going to hold a vote on the Reproductive Rights Bill, which is called the Women's Health Protection Act, and it would establish the legal right to abortion nationwide and prevent states from putting medically unnecessary restrictions on procedures, cough, cough, Texas. It's not medically necessary to ban these things. It's a very safe, clean procedure. Um, And the bill is expected to pass in the House because we know that the House has a not comfortable majority, but enough to get things passed for the Democrats. But it's gonna run into a brick wall in the Senate because it's evenly divided 50-50. And we can't use reconciliation to pass a law that doesn't have anything to do with the budget. As we've talked about in previous episodes, the whole reason that the COVID Relief Act was able to get passed with the, um, the stimulus payments and things like that, Republicans were against it, Democrats were for it, but they used the Reconciliation Act where they were able to just use a simple majority instead of a 60 vote majority and get around the filibuster. That's not gonna be able to work here because it's not a budget related issue. So that sucks. <laughs> um, this is kind of, I don't wanna say all for naught because it's still important to try and get this in the discussion about why it's important to let women have access to this, but it's obviously not gonna come up in the Senate because there's only two Republican senators, uh, Lisa Murkowski and I'm blanking on the other woman, but it's an, oh, um, Susan Collins in Maine. They are the only two. Oh, her. They are the only two females, or they are the only two Republican senators who support abortion rights. The rest of them do not. Oh, so I, that really? would be uh, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I can get behind her. I always see Stephen King screaming on Twitter about how much he hates Susan Collins. So I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> I'm sure she has other issues but she does support abortion rights Good um, for her. okay cool so it would be a 52 to 48 vote which is not enough to pass because of the filibuster so issues for another day but um yeah so this is really scary because it's working to overturn the judicial precedent of roe versus wade which is a landmark supreme court case from 1973 which ruled that women can have an abortion without excessive government intervention <laughs> So, yeah. And why did I call this story the Texas War on Women, you might ask? So Republicans, generally speaking, are all about personal freedom and not letting the government get involved with things because they are generally in favor of smaller government, not bigger government. Yes. Um, That's not the case here. Governor Greg Abbott has banned mask mandates. He's banned vaccine mandates, citing that it's a personal choice to wear a mask and to get vaccinated. And those are also life-saving measures. Stan can tell I'm being triggered. (laughs) So people don't die of COVID. 
So it's okay to make a personal choice not to wear a mask or not to get vaccinated, but women can't make a personal choice about what to do with their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a perfectly safe medical procedure. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the lack of access to this procedure increases like the mortality rate for women because they try to go and do these like back woods abortion techniques that increase the risk yeah which is very scary Uh um so now women in texas who are seeking abortions will have to travel out of state which is a huge financial burden it's a time burden it could also potentially be a safety thing it's very scary um and we know the state of texas is geographically huge so it could take half a day just to get to some other state to be able to get the medical help that you need. So that's very scary. Um, both Match.com and Bumble, they are both based in Texas. They're based in Austin. And they have each created a relief fund for those who are um, affected by the Texas law. So there's ways to potentially get funding and get help if you need to get out of state to get the procedure done. Um, so a little bit of business infusion there. There are companies who are like, look, we try not to be political, but half of our users are women. We need to support women and this Mm -hmm. is how we're going to do it. So very cool. They're putting their money where their mouth is. Um, And kind of my take on this whole situation, if it wasn't clear already, this is not about being pro-life and protecting unborn children. This is about restricting women's rights. And this is about not having a choice in the matter. Yeah. And this is only about if it's my body, my choice, that only seems to apply to things where men are involved. Correct. Um, and it's disgusting. And a lot of Republicans are also big advocates for judicial restraint, which is where you have to honor previous Supreme Court cases. If something has already been ruled as such, that's the law of the land. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously the law of the land when Roe versus Wade happened in 1973. It set the precedent that abortion does not need a lot of government interference. It's within a woman's privacy right to take care of that. And they're trying to overturn it. So there's a lot of faulty logic here, in my opinion. There's a lot of very disturbing developments. Alyssa, how do you feel as a Texas resident and as a woman? How how are you personally feeling about this law? Scared. Um, There have been multiple reports uh, around the state of women lining up outside of abortion clinics. But also just to give you guys an idea, I know we always talk about like, oh, Texas is a huge state. Houston is located on the eastern side of the state. El Paso is right on the tip of the western part. Mm-hmm. Houston and El Paso are 10 and a half hours apart by car. Yeah. Now, That is big, but I want you to think about all of these cities that fall in the middle of that route, like Austin. Austin's pretty much in the center of the state, so there's Mm -hmm. no quick route to get to any of these other states in order to safely have a procedure done. And it's just very disheartening. It's a very tense topic. Um, Many of you guys know that I work in news, Mm -hmm. and the other day, like we were discussing not even the content of the bill. We were discussing how to present the information to mm-hmm. our viewers. So we're not even talking about the nitty gritty of it. We're just like, oh, how should we put this on air? And people were 
near screaming at each other. I'm sure like, it was very tense and it makes us all uncomfortable, but it also, I work with a lot of women. So you can feel, you know, the, the we're scared. We're terrified. Yeah, absolutely. So, also, I wanted this, I'm not trying to make light of the situation or be funny about it because this is a real thing that's happening. Have you seen the satanic temple has filed a lawsuit against Texas? Yes, I have. I'm not sure if I completely believe their claim, but I don't really care. I'm okay with it. So basically, um, I listen to, you guys know, I listen to a lot of true crime. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the expert on the satanic temple, but the satanic temple is mostly just about having separation of church and state yeah. and being able to do what you please. Yeah. And they don't actually believe in like Satan. They more or less use Satan as the exact opposite of like a God, you know, like a secular type of religious it's not really about being yeah anti-christ or anything like that it's it's just more about like doing what you want and trying to live your best life and like people shouldn't stop you for that like you can do whatever you want basically and they're very peaceful people like Mm -hmm. obviously because you don't normally hear about them in the news other than people just making claims about them you don't hear them filing a lawsuit against an entire state so that that just goes to show they're really they're really peaceful people and it it doesn't like it takes a lot to piss them off basically yeah so it's just and not only the satanic temple but I've heard multiple stories in the past week about other states filing claims against Texas Mm -hmm. um I know Oregon has issues with us I believe Washington state also has issues with us Maryland doesn't like us right now like we're we're public enemy number one (laughs) so and rightfully so it's just it's frustrating and it's you know I've also had these conversations with my parents and my mom you know always likes to point out Republican women when we're talking about this stuff like she's like well they support it and I was like okay but that's their choice yeah I would like to have a choice the first Yeah. And the First Amendment is the separation of church and state partially. And I understand that a lot of people do not support abortion because of their religious beliefs. And that's 100 percent fine. But that doesn't mean totally it it does not mean it needs to be a law for everybody because you don't support it because of your faith. It's the same type of argument about like same sex marriage, like people that use their own religious beliefs to be like, well, I don't believe in that. It's like, cool your belief shouldn't affect how other people live their lives. No, it has nothing to do with the law. Just your religion tells you what you can do. It doesn't tell you what believers can do or can't do. And one more thing on this, I don't want to take away from the severity of what an abortion can do to a woman's like mental health. I'm not saying that everyone should go out and get the procedure done the second they become pregnant. That's not what this is about. This is not necessarily like, oh, abortion is the best thing ever. This is about having a choice in the matter. And if that's something a woman chooses to do, then she should be able to do it safely. And if we really want to get into it here, my personal take is that if we just were better about sex education in schools and did not just talk about abstinence all the time, and if we had if we gave away things like condoms and birth control pills for women, 
and plan B, if we just gave away those things like candy, it would practically eliminate the need for abortions at all. And those are barrier contraceptives and things that happen prior to conception. So there's no life involved at that point. It's just the prevention of it forming, which in my opinion would be a lot less offensive, hopefully, to people who don't agree with abortion. So we have the resources and the means to really make abortion hardly even a thing. But But we we can't teach, you know, safe sex in a lot of schools. And we it's hard without public free health care to get things like birth control and condoms out to people who might be in need. Y'all already know how I feel about sex education. I went to a school where there was literally nothing. I had to learn everything on my own time. There was like, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. There wasn't even a baseline education of what sex is, Mm -hmm. let alone the difference between like intercourse and like seeking pleasure, like none of that, nothing for individuals that don't identify within the gender binary, Mm -hmm. nothing about safe, like gay sex, nothing. Like I can't scream about it enough. So, and obviously, you know, I'm not trying to like bad talk my hometown, but a lot of girls that I knew became pregnant in high school as a result of this. Because they don't know any better. No, they don't. They're not given proper education. And then, you know, they have mixed reactions from their parents. Obviously some of them, you know, are very supportive and helpful. Some children get kicked out as soon as they like tell their parents they're pregnant. Others of them are forced into a marriage with the father of the child that it's like, that that's something that I've never understood. Like, okay, maybe if they, you know, they truly love each other, but just because you knock somebody up does not mean that you need to get married and become a husband and wife because, you know, babies don't fix everything. People like to believe that, but babies do not fix everything. Babies make things more difficult. Sorry. I'm screaming. I'm just, I'm having, no, I mean, we're both on our feminist soapbox here and (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's so messy and sex as an act, it's just like completely villainized in this country. Yep. Which I don't understand because who do these men that passed laws like this, who do they think is knocking up these women who need abortions? It's not other women. They don't want to wear condoms. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just faulty logic, restriction of basic rights. It has nothing to do with healthcare or you know, medicine, like it just doesn't, this is a decision that a woman makes with a doctor. It has nothing to do with the government. No, absolutely not. It just, it blows my mind and it's very scary. And we're worried for the residents of Texas, but we really hope things will work out how they're supposed to for the benefit of women and people in need. So that's my first story. That was a heavy one. I'm sorry, but thank you for coming to our TED talk. Yep. All right. So we're probably not going to yell as much about my second story, um, but in my personal um, experience in life, it does make me a little hot. So this story is entitled, You're a Winner, Baby. Woohoo! So RuPaul's Drag Race just crowned its sixth, technically seventh All-Star this week. And I say technically seventh because All-Star season four actually crowned two winners. Mm-hmm. 
So we have seven all-stars and the winner, sorry, if this is a spoiler alert, you should have watched the show is Kylie Sonique Love. And I would like to tell you a little bit about Kylie. All right. She is originally from season two, and she is the first trans woman to win any season of the reality competition series that has been hosted by RuPaul. There have Mm -hmm. been other iterations of the show that have not been hosted by RuPaul, but she is the first with him at the helm and the second across all seasons and versions of the franchise. She's following Angele Anang from Drag Race Thailand season two, born in Albany, Georgia. Yes. A good country girl. And she was actually sent to military school to become quote unquote, more masculine after coming out as transgender at the age of 15. Wow. She received her GED from Albany Technical College and moved to Atlanta, where she was working at the time that she was cast on season two of Repulse Drag Race in 2010. Wow. Way way back. Yeah. She came in ninth place on her original season and became the first drag queen to publicly come out as transgender after her appearance on the show. Mm -hmm. I would also like to take this moment to say her elimination lip sync against Morgan McMichaels was the first episode of Drag Race I ever saw. And it was iconic. (laughs) saying um she was also the first queen to ever do a reveal during a lip sync which is just like you're wearing an outfit and then bam you have another outfit on underneath or something like that love it and she was the first queen to portray dolly parton on the snatch game oh so she's your favorite she's I love her. I love her so much. Like I love Kylie. (laughs) And it's funny because when I first, when I watched season two, you know, she's great, but she really got to shine in all stars season six. And I'm so happy for her. Like the, the, when, when she was crowned, I literally was like jaw on the floor. She has gone on to have an illustrious career outside of drag race, including appearances on the tonight show with Jay Leno, Gene Simmons, family jewels, the mentalist, Joan and Melissa and Joan knows best. And she says that with the money from her all-stars win, she plans to buy a house for her and her dog gizmo. Oh, she talked about gizmo a lot on the show. It was great. Wholesome content. I know. Right. Also, uh, before I get into the nitty gritty of this, I also want to say that, yes, I did say that she came out as trans at the age of 15, but she was already in the process of transitioning when she got on the show and abstained from hormone treatment during filming because 2010 is a different time, obviously. So she probably felt pressured to portray the sex that she was assigned at birth. And she didn't come out until the reunion episode. Like there's like this scene where she's you know, she's obviously holding back a lot during the reunion. And all of a sudden she gets out of her chair and like rushes over to the corner of the like filming space and RuPaul and Morgan McMichaels, who is the girl that eliminated her. They ended up being like best friends. They like talk to her and she just out of nowhere just goes, I'm a woman. And it was, it, 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 I don't want to say monumental, but honestly, it was a very big part of television because she was the first drag queen to like come out as transgender on television. Right. So with all that being said, trans contestants, mostly trans women have a long history on RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. While Kylie was the first to come out publicly as transgender on the show, she is among 20 contestants, 20-ish, I should say, that do not identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. And this, of course, includes those that identify as trans, non-binary, gender fluid, and gender queer, among others. 
I would also like to give a recent congratulations to both season six's Laganja Estranja and season 12's Gigi Good, who both recently came out. Laganja identifies as a trans woman and Gigi identifies as trans non-binary woman. She okay. recently had, um, I believe it's called like facial feminization surgery. So mm-hmm. she can appear more. And she did a lovely like Instagram TV thing talking about it. I was just so happy for her. I was just like, my heart was like, oh, so happy for you. Oh. So although they are present, the show's treatment towards trans contestants has often been very questionable. Sure. It was not until season nine when Peppermint became the first contestant to be out as a trans woman prior to the show's filming. So she like went on the show and she was like, I'm a proud trans woman. I'm here. I'm ready to slay. I'm a drag queen. Let's go. Sorry. She also ultimately placed second in her season, which is great. And not until season 13, which is the most recent season that just filmed, got Mick. That's her name. Uh. (laughs) Uh, She became the first trans man to compete on the show, placing second runner up alongside Rose. And I know I just used the pronoun she. But Gottmik does identify as she, her in drag and he, him outside of drag. There are some drag queens that have different pronouns in and out of drag. And there are some that have the same pronouns in and out of drag. And we must respect all of them. So RuPaul himself has a complex relationship with the trans community. In the early days of performing, he often personified a more gender F style of the art form conveying a more androgynous character however the majority of mainstream pop culture knows rue as a highly feminized quote-unquote glamazon is Mm -hmm. the word he likes to use that rarely ventures from floor-length gowns and perfectly coiffed wigs i feel like that's what yeah she usually looks like when she's in drag yeah Mm -hmm. she started employing like shorter hemlines which is great but you're never going to see like rupaul on the runway of drag race looking like wearing pants yeah or booty shorts or anything like that yeah no she'll wear like a bodysuit but bodysuits and pants are not the same thing so sorry in 2014 former contestants Carmen Carrera of season three and Monica Beverly Hills of season five criticized the usage of words and I'm going to say them just so you guys know what I'm talking about, but I just want you to know that this is in the context of informing you and I'm not using them to call anybody out by name, if that makes any sense. Yes. They criticized the usage of the words, quote unquote, tranny mm-hmm. and quote unquote, she male, both of which have been featured heavily in RuPaul's discography, I might add. Mm-hmm. She literally has a song called Branny Tracer. Yeah. Oh my God. Rue. That's a thing. Do better. Yeah. This culminated in the main challenge announcement phrase changing in season six from quote unquote, you've got she male to she already done had herses, which is just a thing that like RuPaul says every now and then. Mm-hmm. Season six also featured a mini challenge titled female or she male in which contestants were instructed to decide whether various photographs shown to them were of drag queens or cisgendered women. Drawing further criticism, rightfully so. Why does it matter? That's a silly challenge. 
I know, right? It's so stupid. Like it has nothing to do with like performing in drag. Perform- yeah, like, oh, you can recognize other queens. Like, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> like They just try to do stuff to get people's attention. You know, it's, it's weird. RuPaul responded to this particular criticism with his own criticism, stating that people were trying to police his language and bad faith and that tranny referred to transvestites and drag queens, not trans women. But... For those of you who do not know, it is it is very highly understood that that word, as well as transvestites, is no longer okay to use yeah. in any form or context. Yeah. It's just don't. Just don't. Just say transgender woman, transgender man, transgender non-binary, whatever is applicable. Or someone that, you know, just enjoys dressing in clothes not assigned to their gender. That's, right. you know. It may be a mouthful, but it's better than these words. Okay, so in 2018, during an interview with The Guardian, RuPaul stated that post-op trans women would quote-unquote probably not be accepted onto the show. And this was at the same time that Peppermint, who I mentioned before, was on television. And in the reunion, she is shown to have gotten breast implants after wrapping production. And they Mm -hmm. look great, I might add. Um, like literally she's wearing this like white suit during the reunion episode and her tits are just out. She looks amazing. It's so good. It's so right. But so this is why that question was brought up after receiving criticism. He then went on to compare trans drag queens who had transitioned as quote athletes who had taken performance enhancing drugs. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is was she so against it because like I guess the standard definition of a drag queen is a man dressing like a woman so if a transgender woman dresses in drag it's not technically drag just because they are a woman now if we're going by outdated definitions right yes yeah it's obviously very like like who cares like yeah it's you know it's about performance and the costumes. It's not about not about who you are or who you identify no. as. That no. has no play in the situation. And I'll get into that more in a second. Um, RuPaul then expressed regret for this statement and that mm-hmm. the only screening criteria for the show was quote charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, which is also a phrase that is often used on the show. And like Annabelle just stated, while types of drag practiced around the world do solely focus on the female illusion aspect, this is not the only reason for the art form. Right. I'll get in more of that in a second as well. This leads me, me personally, this is my belief, not anyone else's, um, that while RuPaul's Drag Race has done wonders for educating mainstream pop culture on not only the art form of drag, but also the LGBTQIA community, it continues to file down the complex edges of what drag performance is and can be. Mm-hmm. Once again, while illusion is an aspect, comedy, performance, and other forms of self-expression are also ways in which drag is utilized. Right. This makes competition for trans contestants even more difficult because the uneducated automatically assume that drag and being trans are the same thing, and it limits what transphobes deem, quote, socially acceptable. And I'm going to give the analogy that I always give to those who don't really understand um, the difference between uh, being a drag queen and being transgender. 
drag is an occupation or a hobby. Like drag is something you can get paid for. Like oftentimes this is a lot of the contestants full-time job is being a drag queen and performing at clubs and events around the world. Mm-hmm. Being transgender is a lifestyle, right? Like you don't wake up and put a wig on. No, or that's like, not what, what it is. You know, well, you know, some trans people do wear wigs, but I'm saying like, it's not something that you turn off as soon as you get home and go to bed. Yeah, it is, absolutely not. It is a continuous thing. And trans icon Gia Gunn of season six, as well as All-Stars 4, said it best when upon her return in All-Stars 4, she stated, quote, I am not a man that dresses up as a woman. I am a woman who participates in the art of drag. And that is just proof that the two are not mutually exclusive, which a lot of people, you know, tend to believe. And Gia and Kylie Um, our winner from the beginning of the story have both stated that drag helped them realize their trans identity. And this is not always the case and should not be taken as a catch all for all trans individuals. You know, there are trans people that perform as drag queens and there are trans individuals that just live their life as trans individuals and we should respect both of them it's also worth noting that there are cisgendered women that participate in drag there are straight men that participate in the art of drag there are all types of people that participate in drag and that's pretty much what my conclusion statement is it just says in conclusion drag is for everyone regardless of gender identity or sexuality and if the rumors about season 14 are true i look forward to continuing this sort of conversation with the introduction of the franchise's first straight male contestant because i know there's going to be a storm around that yeah i don't doubt it so i just wanted to you know, pay a little respect to all of our trans drag queens as well as trans individuals and just talk about this because it is, it is a monumental moment, not only in television history, but just for the trans community to have someone representing them on a global scale in the art form of drag. It's, it's beautiful. Like, just like I said, like Kylie has said on multiple occasions that drag changed her life. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. And I know I had a lot of criticism for the show in this story, but RuPaul's Drag Race is one of my favorite shows on television. I've been watching it religiously since 2011. Mm -hmm. And I don't plan on stopping at this point, just because there are so many beautiful people that have been showcased on the show and you get to know them you you know they're giving more platforms in which to show their art and their ideas and it's just so great like there are multiple girls that have gone on the show that now have their own cosmetics line there are there are three girls that actually were on the show on different seasons that now have a show on hbo max like it's it's insane the reach that this show has given to the LGBTQIA plus community. And mm-hmm. I look forward to more artists being able to have this platform. All right. Can always count on Alyssa to highlight and stick up for the trans community. Hell yeah. If you don't like trans people, I don't like you. We'll fight. <laughs> That's a great segue into the title of my next story. Heck just yeah. called 
Bill Axe Smackdown. <gasps> so, Bill Ack is actually not his full name. It's Bill Ackman, but I cut off the man to get it to rhyme. Also, you know, man, unnecessary. It's our podcast and we do what we want. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, major investor and hedge fund owner Bill Ackman has the biggest SPAC to date. And he has nothing to buy it with. So friendly reminder, if you did not listen to our SPACs episode, which was several months ago now, so I'll just update you if you do not remember. <laughs> um, SPAC is an acronym and it stands for a Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And it is essentially a shell company that is traded on a public stock exchange. And the sole purpose of it is to raise money so it can buy another company to merge with. So when you're investing in a SPAC, you're not investing in something that's going to put out products or services. It's going to potentially buy another company somewhere down the line. And it's just trying to gain money to purchase that company with. So Bill Ackman is an activist investor, meaning that normally with his hedge fund, he likes to buy major stakes in publicly traded companies and kind of advise them and tell them what to do. And when you're an activist investor, you have a lot of power because you have a lot of money. <laughs> and when you have a lot of money, you can buy a lot of shares of something and it, it gives you enough voting power as a shareholder to, to make, you know, make a splash in the company that yes. you're trying to work with, basically. So that's kind of what Bill Ackman is known for. Um, he has raised over four billion for this SPAC, which is the biggest one. It's usually like a hundred million or so somewhere in that range. It's not, it doesn't normally get into the billions, um, but this is a lot. And it's been an active SPAC trading for over a year now, just accumulating money. Um, this is Bill Ackman's first time he's like created his own SPAC, but it's not his only involvement in SPACs. He kind of worked with the SPAC in 2012 that got Burger King to go public. So you can have a show way, but Bill Ackman's struggling a little bit with the SPAC. Um, so the name of the SPAC that's trading right now and gathering the $4 billion, it's called Pershing Square, which is the same name as Bill Ackman's hedge fund, by the way, hmm. um, which is Pershing Square Capital. And this is a little bit different than some other SPACs that are on the market right now. Um, it's obviously the largest, as we said, with billions instead of hundreds of millions. And additionally, there are no management or promotion fees that are given to the managers of like, you know, Bill Ackman and his team that are running the SPAC. That's usually pretty common with SPACs. They're going to take a little bit of money from what's being raised for their time, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty investor friendly and a lot of investors, they like Bill Ackman and what he's done in the finance world and they like the fact that there's no management fees so Yay. that's why right that's why it's been able to raise four billion dollars so what did he want to buy with four billion dollars so he wanted to buy something large private and established something that has been private not currently publicly traded obviously because you can't do that with a SPAC and he wanted something that already had a good reputation, was potentially a household name. They just kind of needed really some extra cash to kind of take it public. That was sort of his goal here. He called this a mature unicorn, which remember a Ooh. unicorn is a private company with a valuation of a billion dollars or more. And they tend to be, you know, hot startups. He wanted a hot, not necessarily a startup, something that had been around for a little bit, but was still private and was doing well. So 
he was kind of looking potentially at buying Airbnb, which if you don't know, it's currently already public on its own. Mm-hmm. So that obviously didn't work out. He looked at um, purchasing Bloomberg, which is obviously Michael Bloomberg's empire. They have a bunch of business software. They run the Bloomberg publication and a bunch of other things that you probably wouldn't know about if you don't work in finance. So not really worth talking about. Again, me. He also was rumored to potentially buy Stripe, which is a pretty big fintech platform right now. Um, And he didn't end up buying any of them. All the talks kind of fell through or these companies are like, nah, we're going to do our own thing. We don't really need to work with you. Um, And part of the reason that it's been hard for Bill Ackman to find a company to buy is because of his reputation on Wall Street as an activist investor. He speaks super publicly about his ideas and his positions. And a lot of people who already run these private mature companies, they're not really interested in being told how to run a business. They're like, screw you, man. We know what we're doing. We've gotten this far on our own. We don't need your money. We don't need your advisory. I don't need this. My man has two jobs. More or less. Yeah. So (laughs) they think that this really hurt his chances with companies when trying to purchase something to merge with, um, because they just, they don't believe that Bill Ackman can take a back seat. He's trying to advertise himself as more of an advisor now instead of an activist investor, but do we believe it? I don't know. If it walks like if a duck. If you don't, I don't. Quacks like a duck. Bill Ackman's a duck. Oh. So, you know. So he decided that he wanted to buy a 10% stake in Universal Music using his SPAC. So that was kind of what he decided to do. Um, Universal Music, we know, is spun off from its parent company. And it owns just a ton of music from everything like I think the Beatles are involved in that. Um, Taylor Swift. Are your boys involved in Universal Music or do they have a different label? I believe that's our American label. Let me check it out. I might be wrong. Because that's something I learned when I got really into them. Um, No, we're under Columbia. Sorry. Gotcha. Okay. Well, anyway, plenty of uh, very notable artists are under Universal Music. Yes. Um, And that would cost about $3 billion to buy a 10% stake in Universal Music, which is most of, but not all of the money currently in the SPAC. And Bill Ackman was like, oh, we'll just use the remaining billion for future deals. And investors were like, okay, so you're not going to buy something where you outright own it. You're just going to buy a 10% stake. And then we gave you a billion extra dollars and you're just going to sit on it for future deals. Like that's not, you know, the most exciting. They expected a major blockbuster deal. And the SEC was like, wait a minute, you can't do this. They're not on board because a SPAC buying a stake in another company that's already publicly traded. It means that the SPAC is acting as an investment company, mm-hmm. not as an actual SPAC because the purpose is to merge. The purpose is not to take a major stake. Does that make sense? So SPACs are supposed to invest in companies. Investment companies invest in shares of companies. So it's enough of a difference where it got the SEC's attention because the SPAC is not acting as a SPAC. Gotcha. You're like, wait a minute, you're like a wolf in sheep's clothing here where you can't, you know, allow this. So Bill Ackman dropped the deal with Universal Music and said that his hedge fund instead will buy the Universal Music stake because obviously he can't use his SPAC to do that. Um, so now he's like, well, okay. He sent a, a uh, letter to shareholders saying that he may have to return all $4 billion to investors. Oh my God. 
because he doesn't have anything to buy it with. He's Dang. basically, this is kind of an example of like too big for your britches. Like it's 4 billion is a lot of money and there's only so many companies out there that are going to be open to this that cost that much. So wow. this could potentially just kind of be a failure of a SPAC. And it could also potentially signal the downfall of the SPAC boom because there's so much scrutiny going on with SPACs right now, this included. So we'll see what happens in the SPAC market. It's not a guarantee yet that Bill Ackman will have to send money back to investors, but it's kind of looking that that might be the possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't know, I actually kind of like Bill Ackman because of one of his major bets that he made. So the most famous one that was covered in the media was his $1 billion short position on Herbalife, which is the multi-level marketing company that sells sells, um, like protein shakes and powders and stuff like that, health supplements. So he basically went to Herbalife and bought a billion dollar, or excuse me, he shorted it, which means he borrowed the stock to sell it, betting that the stock price would drop. We won't get into all the details of like how that works, but he basically took a billion dollar stance betting against Herbalife because he's like, yo, this is a pyramid scheme. And I agree with him. It is a pyramid scheme. And he got into a major blow up with another activist investor on CNBC. This man's name was Carl Icahn. He took a stake betting that Herbalife would succeed. Ackman ended up on the losing side of this deal where he ended up you know, covering his short position and getting out of it completely because the stock price of Herbalife kept rising. But multi-level marketing companies, if you know anything about me, um, I hate them. I hate them with a passion. I think they're an absolute scam and people need to do their research before they get involved with one because these are horrible companies. 98% of people either lose money or break even when they're involved with them and they prey on minorities and people who do not have sufficient education to get other jobs. I'm going to tie it all together real quick and say that we should have more education in schools about multi-level marketing campaigns, because not only were girls in my high school getting pregnant at 16, they were also already involved in MLMs. And I think that's tragic. So let's get it all wrapped up in one. Yeah, exactly. And not even just MLMs, but like business in general, a lot of people just don't know They don't know how to do their taxes. They don't know how to invest. And those are things that we should be talking about, but oh, we can't talk about money. It's not exactly, you know, and not once again, not trying to call anyone out, but there's a college in my hometown and the college is most well known for its business program. I can't count how many businesses I have seen go under in that town. And I'm like, most of y'all went to that school. So why don't you know how to sufficiently run a business? Mm questionable at best mm-hmm. so yeah that's what's going on with bill axe back down um the stock is down bad Spec so is down bad before we get into smile file for the week i have three quick updates on previous stories i've covered on this podcast yes so please there's more things going on um so last week we talked about elizabeth holmes and the theranos trial so jury selection happened last week they have selected a 12 person jury five women seven men Okay. It should be noted that there are no black people on this jury. Of course not. There are six white people, four Hispanic people, and two Asian people. There are no black people on it. So 
there is a little bit of diversity, but not a lot. And there's obviously still a major race in America that's not represented. Granted, this is falling in San Francisco. I don't know the exact demographic makeup of San Francisco, but there is a lot of like, well, yeah, but (laughs) sorry, sorry. (laughs) Racially, I mean, um, so not I'm sure all white could, there's sure. it's, it's very diverse yeah I was gonna say I'm sure they could have found one black person at least to serve on the jury but there's no black alternates either they could have found the last black man in San Francisco they could have do you know that reference I don't it was a movie that came out like a year ago oh okay well <laughs> there was a lot of battle with who was going to be on the jury because there are a lot of people who I mean, this is such a major court case, like practically everybody's heard of it. And there's a lot of people who just got excused because they like, they work in media or they work in news and they just, they know about this because it's so famous. So the jury skews heavily young. The youngest person is 19. She just graduated wow. school and still has braces, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I guess if that's like what it takes to find somebody who's unbiased, you know, that's how it is. So that's what's going on with Theranos. Um, also, in regard to the Sackler Swerve story I covered a few weeks ago about uh, Purdue Pharma and the families being excused from basically all opioid settlements, um, the bankruptcy judge, Robert Drain, he conditionally approved the Purdue Pharma opioid settlement plan. So it's, it's good to go, basically. And the Sacklers are still shielded from future opioid lawsuits. Um, the states who were involved, which spoiler alert is all 50, they 41 of them voted to approve the bankruptcy plan, nine of them voted against it and are still going to keep challenging, but 41 to nine, not very good numbers. Wow. So we'll see what happens there. Nine states dissenting. There's also no apologies from the Sackler family. Um, they admit no, they admit no wrongdoing. And the judge, Robert Drain, he's like, well. I could conditionally get them to apologize, but a forced apology isn't really an apology, which he's not wrong. I don't really think that's the judge's call to uh, force a person to apologize because they should be decent enough to do it themselves. Correct. Anyway, and then one final update. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the Apple security update where they're trying to protect, you know, um, like they're trying to prevent child porn from being on iCloud. Mm -hmm. Um, That was supposed to come out later this year. Apple is delaying its update of the software that matches the iCloud images to that child porn database. They say that the update and the rollout need more work regarding the privacy before it's released. And there's no date right now for when it's actually going to come out. They might scrap it all together. Who knows? So there basically was enough pushback from privacy advocates that apple's like oh shoot we gotta we gotta rethink this before it comes out here so yeah those are my updates Alyssa, what's in your smile file i actually have one update as well um it just broke yesterday uh we talked about the primetime emmy awards last week and who we thought were gonna win and we specifically mentioned a fantastic actor by the name of michael k williams mm-hmm. Um, he was nominated or is nominated in the outstanding supporting actor in a drama series category and it's still pending but sadly he was uh, found yesterday in his Williamsburg apartment by his nephew Um, he was 54 and no cause of death has yet to be disclosed but Um, I was in charge of doing a story on him last night for one of my shows and I actually learned a lot more about him and I didn't realize how 
like illustrious his career was. Like you talk about someone who has made an entire career off of HBO. He did it. Like not only was he the main star of The Wire, he was also involved in Boardwalk Empire, Lovecraft Country, which he was nominated for. He was also in the Bessie Smith um, biopic from a few years ago with Queen Latifah. And he just seemed like a, an actual wonderful human being, not only just talented in acting. So uh, all, all respects paid to him. And I hope his family is doing well and receive all the love and support they deserve. So yeah, absolutely. As for my smile file, I actually didn't think of anything before I got on this call. So I've been trying to think, um, I have, I have two small ones to the time of this recording, uh, September 7th today is actually my only surviving grandparents birthday. Uh, she is turning, I can do this math 84 today. And I don't see her often. Um, she does, suffer from Alzheimer's syndrome. So I am going to be writing a letter to her later today and sending it out. Hopefully it will reach her and hopefully one of my family members will read it to her. Um, other than that, <laughs> cause you know, I got to talk about K-pop at one point during the show. Um, Lisa from Blackpink is releasing her first single by herself on Friday. And she's been releasing like a lot of photos of it this week and everything looks great. But this morning when I woke up was the first time we got like an audio tease and it, it sounds pretty good. So I'm excited for that. What about you, babe? So my younger sister officially formally graduated this weekend from her university, obviously she was class of 2020 and did not get to walk because of COVID it was dangerous. So they did a postponed commencement and it happened this past weekend and she finally got the closure and the public recognition by her university that she deserves. So Martha, I'm very proud of you and I support you in your future endeavors. So that's my smile for proud big sister. Yee yee. We love the family ties this week. We got all the family ties. Alyssa, are we going to do something special this week for episode 25? (gasps) We can finally rent a car. (laughs) Yeah, we can finally rent a car and we might cover some of our hot takes. Oh, oh my gosh. I would actually love that. Yes. So we'll talk offline about that, but we'll probably have a more special episode next week for you guys. It's a little bit different than what we normally talk about. So yeah, tune in. It'll be a good one. Yeah.